This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Trevor Groggily. Paul, Paul, how are you doing after yeah. a busy week? Sounds like you already know how I'm doing. Yeah, I'm a little, <laughs> uh, a little jet lagged, a little, um, yeah, a little groggy for sure. But I'm doing well. It's nice to be back home. I was on a, a business trip this week where I also managed to sneak in surprise, surprise, some, some good food in bookstores. So it wasn't all bad, but. Yeah, got home last night, and um, but no, I'm I'm doing good. I'm drinking some coffee and happy to be talking to you. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing really well. Yeah, good. today is Saturday, uh, January twentieth. So far, so far, the new year has been uh, a good new year, and you know, I've been getting in a lot of reading, uh, which, I, as I talked to you before, so, you know, I've tried to figure out things that make it so that winter doesn't doesn't affect me in kind of a, a negative way. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm really enjoying hunkering down the evenings, getting out a book, you know, getting some tea or something, something to drink. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been lovely. Good. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way so far, you know, 20 days in 2024 has been <laughs> a, a great reading year for me. I'm just, I don't know. It's one of those where you just get in the groove and it mm-hmm. feels right. And the books are clicking and, you know, being on an airplane, this last week, a couple times, definitely didn't hurt. So yeah, I'm in the same boat. It's fun. That's nice. Yeah, we've got the reading challenges at the library. Mm-hmm. I think this is not to, to brag or boast or anything. Some of these were books I actually started last year, but finished, you know, read much of them this way. But I, I, I have finished nine books so far in 2024 and been able to check off wow. nine books on that, that reading list. You'll have blackout so, by like February. Well, they get harder <laughs> to fill out. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, if you're reading a six Trollop novels, a Jane Austen, all of these Emil Zola books, they, they don't all qualify for like published in the 2020s or, right. you know, right. a science fiction <laughs> graphic novel. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, I was, um, I, th- I was looking, I don't know, I, I might be right around the same number, nine ish, mm-hmm. I think, because I haven't, you will be proud of me, I have been updating Storygraph very regularly yeah um but this week just being gone i haven't there's a couple on there and i i show seven and i'm pretty sure i finished at least two books this week so i think i'm right there with you so far do we need to take a break so you can log those you know make sure you you don't interrupt your your logging (laughs) no i think i'll be good i think i can remember you know we'll see famous last words but no no so far i'm really enjoying it and like we mentioned in our last episode i think for me it was finding the right balance of not Mm -hmm. too many details which is something you suggested and that so far has made a big difference just you know the the book name obviously and i've been doing star ratings only for my own kind of end of year recap it's nice to glance a lot of times those change and i don't put that much stock into them but it's nice just to kind of like when i finish this book this is roughly what i thought of it and then Mm -hmm. um the end date like you said has been really nice so yeah it's been cool so far yeah well that's awesome and you, you got to tell listeners <laughs> what happened when you were on your work trip. Yes, yes. You had to basically jettison your, your luggage, yeah. at least what, what was in your luggage for something right. else. Who needs clothes, right? That's what we all say when we <laughs> bibliophiles travel. So yeah, um, for those who haven't seen it on social media, I was, I was in Atlanta and a couple of people online, I had sent out a, a note ahead of time, just, you know, any good bookstores in Atlanta and several different people had sent me some great um, ideas. And so I managed to sneak in a couple during the evenings after my conference. And I went to Atlanta Vintage Books, 
which is just one of those bookstores that you we would all love. It's just dusty and musty and lots of hidden treasures everywhere. And I went straight over to the Z's because I've been in the habit, you know, you and other of our friends online have been getting me, you know, interested in the Zola bug. And so I went straight over to Z's. I looked, ah, nope, nothing. So, you know, I was just browsing around and all of a sudden I looked over and there was in a little small separate bookshelf, an entire shelf of Zola books, all in those wonderful Oxford editions that I've been drooling over. So they had 17 of the 20 (laughs) books right there on one shelf. It was amazing. So I was like, okay, realistically, I should get three. And then I'm like, oh, I could probably get five. And so I took five up to the counter and she's like, oh, wow, these are great. I'm glad you found them. You know, it's really bothered me that they're sitting over there on that other shelf. And I was like, yeah, I'd love to get them all, but, you know, have to be realistic and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, unless I kind of jokingly said, unless you want to run like a buy one, get one free sale. And she's like, well, I could do that. <laughs> oh yeah and oh no at the same time so did you yeah. have a did you have a weapon you know were you like unless no. like i'm just surprised that they I were know. so willing to quickly turn around they must love was, books and wanted to make i you think happy. that's exactly it that's what a friend and i who were there we were saying that like booksellers like librarians often are just genuinely nice people and they see somebody who's passionate and excited and you know depending on their circumstances if they can kind of do something like that to make your day. It seems like they're willing to do it. So yeah, it absolutely did make my day. Cause on top of them being <laughs> buy one, get one free, they were like something like $7 each in the first place. So it was, I feel like it was the steal of the century and um, happy to report. I somehow managed to fit them all in my suitcase and I brought my clothes home. So it was a nice. win-win. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. So I, I did see there. So there are three you don't have. Uh, do you know which three they are yet that you're still in the market for? I was or? going through the list. Um, I have a little checklist and I don't, one of them is, is it Jeremy Nall, wrong? Yeah. But the funny thing is I actually, that was one of the only, that might be the only other Zola that I owned already in a different <laughs> edition. So then I'm coming up against the classic. I can't have no 19 no. in one I, edition. I won't let you do that either. Yeah, just so exactly. You know. <laughs> yeah. That's one of them. And then I'm a I, true friend. You are a true friend. <laughs> I don't. I did go through and I kind of made a little checklist. So I don't remember. I think the other ones that I don't have is I'm going to slaughter all these French pronunciations. But the sin of Abbe Moray, okay, and I think in a love story. But don't quote me. I need. Okay. I, I need to go and spend a little time. I haven't even dug them out of my suitcase yet. <laughs> but once I do, I will come up with a list and figure it out. But yeah, those Not are too the many three. though. Not too many. I could probably cost as much as those 17. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So ridiculous, but also it was amazing. So that's the fun thing about those used bookstores is I I was enjoying that bookstore, but it was one of those, like there was a lot of great books, but I just, there wasn't necessarily anything that was calling out to me. And I was thinking it might be one of those where I just picked up, you know, one or two. And then all of a sudden I saw that bookshelf. (laughs) Did you get other ones or did you just get those 17? At that store, I only got those ones, but <laughs> then it, um, there was another great bookstore that somebody else recommended called Acapella Books in Atlanta, and I, I haven't posted a picture of this yet. I got a couple more. Um, there was the, um, oh, what is it called? It's the one that Mark Haber recommended. Pip, Pip Adams, is that the author's mm. name? Um, from yeah, Pip Dorothy. Adams from Dorothy. Yeah, yeah, I got that one. I saw that one, and then I got the new, the new Claudia Pinheiro. 
oh, the, huh. um, that I've been wanting to get. And then, yeah, so yeah, 17 <laughs> wasn't enough for me. No, it's, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but you know, what are you going to do? You have Christmas money burning a hole in your pocket. It's almost February, yeah. you know, panic starts to set in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you're feeling a lot better now. Oh, it, it, am, all yeah. it all calmed down. It all calmed Exactly. Down. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, so now so- my, my bookshelves won't be happy, but I am. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. I have been going through my bookshelves to to clear off the, you know, to make way for books I've gotten in the last year yeah. that need to find a home. And yeah, I've got a big stack of books that are going to be going um, somewhere nice. uh, over here on this side of me. And uh, but it, it it always feels good to make way for the 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 ones that you're working on. So yeah, no, I've we've talked about that. I didn't used to do it hardly at all. I would not say that I'm still great at like a big purge, but I'm getting better at, at the very least, you know, getting rid of one for every five I bring in <laughs> still, the math doesn't add up, but it's better than it was. It's hard. It is hard. At the same time, when I do it, I suddenly feel, uh, I suddenly remember all the books I want to read that I'm yeah. like, Oh, that's been sitting in a pile for you know months. I forgot that mm-hmm. I got it. And now I want to read it. And I look at books I've had for, you know, 10 years that I still haven't read. And I go, am I really going to read that? I probably like to, but look at this massive pile of books that I'm really anxious to read. And it just, you know, it, it it does help me feel a little bit more able to, to trudge forward in the, in my backlist as well. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And some of the books, like you said, you know, maybe it was the it book from 10 or 15 years ago for that year. And in the moment you kind of got caught up in it and it just, never appealed to you or you never got to it. And by now, maybe it's not quite as appealing as it used to be. I mean, a lot of the classics are obviously like a lot of the publishers we love. Those are the ones that Mm -hmm. I don't get rid of because they're timeless, you know, but there are those ones that are just kind of, you know, not the booker list specifically, but a book like that, that was on one of those lists that in the moment really catches your eye, but may or may not hold up there. Those are the ones I'm targeting for my purges. Okay, well let's let's send a book to somebody to help yeah. their bookshelves, and it, it's one you have in your possession. It's a new book. It's not like one you read and no, it's brand did, new. Didn't yeah. Wanted to discard. You know, this isn't part of your purge. <laughs> no, although it does, it, it won't hurt to not have it. You know, but yeah, no, it's no. I'm excited to share but this one. It's one you've got two copies of, so we're able to send out that uh, January. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got our entries here. Thank you, everybody, for your entries. Uh, some of you did it be, via email, which is great. Some of you did it on Instagram, which is great. Some of you did it on Twitter, which is great. Any of these ways are are perfectly acceptable uh, yeah. for entries. And I'll type in the random number generator to see who wins. It is an Instagrammer, Paul. Oh, nice. It is Becky, who is Culver Reader on Instagram. C-U-L-V-E-R. R-E-A-D-E-R, Culver Reader. Becky, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. That's exciting. I can't wait to send it her way, and I really hope she enjoys it as much as we both did. Right. Awesome. Well, and thanks, everybody else, for your entries, of course. Uh, Becky, we will reach out to you on Instagram so that we can figure out where the best place to send this will be. And... We'll look forward to the next giveaway. I was as I did, was doing my call. Do you know I actually have another um, archipelago book that I have two copies of? Do you really? It's it's uh, so we'll 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 save that. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do it next episode. I don't know, but it's yeah. it's, a, 
it's a big one from last big by big. I mean, you know, it's one of their big, big books I have not read yet. Mm. Um, it's Attila Bartus's The End. Oh, uh, yeah. Do you have a copy of that one? Yet? I do have a copy of that one, and it is sitting there tempting me along with a lot of those other big bricks. <laughs> yeah, that one. I've heard some really great things about it, so that's exciting. Well, yeah, we'll get that one out. We've got other ones in the in the works as well. They're giveaways, but I always like doing them. It's so fun to share the love for these books. Absolutely. And I also want to stop for a minute to thank some new supporters, both on Patreon and on Substack. As I mentioned a little bit ago, if you're on Substack, you can and want to support us. I was really worried for a long time because I didn't know how to give back to that. Like I didn't know how to give you the Patreon benefits of like early access to episodes and bonus episodes, but I figured that out. So now if you do want to subscribe and and um, support financially on Substack, you can do so. But we've got some new supporters in the past uh, few weeks. Patricia Gregory, thank you. Mary, I don't always get their full names. And, and it, it, with that, I don't know if they want me to share them. So <laughs> Mary, um, all the Marys in the world, but this That's one right. in particular. <laughs> and then I don't know if I'll say this right, but Hui Chen Zhang, uh, thank you so much. And then on Substack, Tracy B., we very much really we really do appreciate it, and at this point in the year as well, a lot of bills come due. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in January is when um, some of our uh, the things that we pay for for a year run out, and it's very helpful to to have the the knowledge that it will be covered, and and that it also allows us to do the giveaways and various other fun things, and um, prepare for future episodes, et cetera. It, it is, it is stuff that goes back to the podcast. Um, I, may, maybe I should say, unfortunately, you know, I mean, it would be awesome if this were all that we had to do to also provide for our families, but it, yeah, maybe, know, some, maybe someday, someday. <laughs> um, but that's not to say that we don't love being able to do this um, as, as we are uh, uh-huh. because it, it is, it is so much fun and we really appreciate those of you who get involved to be able to support uh, this fun project that you're, you're really helping um, the whole thing uh, I think be better. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you guys so much. And then um, just a quick little bit, uh, uh, Wendy Whitten um, sent us a little note on one of her books. She's most looking forward to in 2024. And I thought we should bring this up. I didn't know mm. about this. Um did, I don't know if you saw this either. Let's see. Let's see. This might be your first uh, first bit of knowledge of it too. But she says no date yet, but until August, by the brilliant Gabriel Garcia Marquez, a book his son saved until the ten year anniversary of his death will be published this year and is her most anticipated book. I so, did see that. That I hadn't even heard about that until August. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. It's always yeah. so interesting when those kind of books come out because it's like the author's wishes versus <laughs> the, you know, the son. And, and, but then it's also as somebody passes away, that question of when does art kind of become a collective, you know, thing that people don't own, but like, I don't know. It's just so interesting, you know, the personal wishes of an author versus like knowing that some of these great authors have these works that otherwise you would never see. And, it's really fascinating. That that is very intriguing to me for sure. So it does have a date now, and it's actually really, really, really soon. It's uh, March twenty March twelfth, 
Oh, wow. So a couple months, a little less than two months. And it is translated by the always wonderful uh, translator, Anne McLean. Mm. So this is this is going to be a treat. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely moves up to be one of my most anticipated as well. It's coming in America from Knopf. So it'll, you know, all, all around good good news. And so thank you, Wendy, for pointing that out to us and sharing your, you know, your uh, most anticipated book of the year. Yeah, that's fun. So uh, always happy to get listener feedback. And we've even tried to integrate ways that we can um, better catalog this so that mm-hmm. we can share it on future episodes. So keep sending it in. We always appreciate it, but hopefully we'll be able to share it better as well. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're definitely working on getting more organized to make sure because we always talk about them to each other and like uh-huh. you know, how great it is to get that note. But sometimes by the time the next episode r- rolls around, we don't always remember. So yeah. That's one of our uh, 2024 resolutions. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. We've got yeah. planned out for the next few months and oh, yeah. with guests and topics and mm-hmm. and uh, documents that will help us organize this. I'm excited about it. Hopefully, hopefully, you know it. It never feels like a chore, but just helps us make everything a little bit more smooth. Yeah, absolutely. And share the fun that we have with it. But all right, well, Paul, that's probably enough uh, gabbing. What have you been reading? Yeah, so we haven't done, I was thinking about it, we haven't done this segment since before the holidays. So I've been reading all kinds of things, but I'm not going to touch on all of it, or that would be about three more episodes. But I have really been reading so many wonderful books over the last couple of months. Um, a couple of them I'll discuss actually later in this episode. So I won't, won't mention those here, but I've continued to make steady progress through Black Lamb and Gray Falcon by Rebecca West with the group. And I'm loving that one so far. It's just such an interesting blend of history and politics and travel writing. And then one thing that I've really enjoyed is she mixes in these wonderful character sketches and descriptions along the way. She's really good at describing people both physically, but also just their backgrounds and their emotions and things like that. And she's one of those authors that does it so seamlessly that you are reading through and you're learning all these things about the different people that live in the region and the different history and stuff. And it's so effortless and, and interesting that you just kind of breeze along. So yeah, I've really been enjoying that. Um, and then I also wanted to mention a book that I read recently for the Republic of Consciousness judging, which I really, really liked. Um, it's, I don't remember if you've read this one or not, Trevor, it's Two Sherpas by Sebastian Martinez Daniel, translated by Jennifer Croft. Have you read this one? I forget. I- I haven't, but yeah. every time someone says that they're reading it, it makes me uh, remember that I, I need to. There's so yeah. many of the charcoal books that I don't have yet that I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I got to get that one. That's I know. Doing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like you mentioned, it is out from Charcoal Press. And um, this is one of those books where in a lot of ways, not much happens, you know, and that comes despite the fact that when it kicks off, we're up on a mountain in Nepal where a British climber has fallen from a cliff. So it's like, it's funny to say nothing much happens because that's quite a setup right there. And then we're spending time with these two Sherpas who are with him. And that's basically what what it is for the rest of the novel is these two Sherpas just looking down at his unconscious or potentially lifeless body. They don't know. And so they're just standing there and kind of trying to figure out what to do, um, whether they should move him, whether they should go back down. Um, And as we wait with them, we're kind of taken on these different excursions the chapters are short and it's almost like these little i don't know just these little excerpts that are so fascinating um so you know they cover out everything from like geography and the myths of the area 
to, you know, memories of both the Sherpas, one of whom is very young and the other one who is much older. So they have these very different perspectives that they're coming to the mountain with. And then there's also sections like on Shakespeare and mountaineering and colonialism. I mean, just all kinds of stuff for such a slim book. It's one of those that you just can't believe how much is in there. Um, and like so many of those books where not, not much happens on the surface, it that means it relies heavily on the writing which is something I love. And so I just wanted to read a, a quick excerpt just to, to give a taste of that. It says, the foreigners who reach the summit believe that they have outperformed the species and at least for an instant, see themselves as demigods. They celebrate, they hug, they take pictures because they always take pictures, always relapse into narcissism. Meanwhile, the Sherpas wait to one side, not making much of a distinction between ascent and descent, just silently grateful that none of these bumpkins broke a leg during the expedition. For them, for the tourists, we are pack animals, the older man would say, creatures capable of doing with relative ease what for human beings constitutes a feat. They see us as mules, beings with bone structures suited to lugging great weights. They see it as perfectly logical for Sherpas to summit. They ought to think of us as titans, deities with powers unattainable by mere mortals, but they don't. When they reach the summit, they're the ones who are the heroes. It is they who have achieved mountaineering glory, the so-called miracle of besting of overcoming themselves. The fact that the Sherpa has undertaken the same labor, not once, but three times, five times, 10 times, seems natural to the tourist in the same way that it seems natural, unmeritorious that an elephant should be able to tear up a tree by its trunk. So I just thought that was a good example of, you know, just this wonderful writing that's so, you know, it's hard hitting in some ways, but it just flows so easily. And like I said, it jumps all over the place, but it does it. I thought it was in just fascinating fragments that eventually kind of coalesce into a bigger whole. So anyway, yeah, I just wanted to mention that one because I really did enjoy it. And as usual, Tarko just continues to put out some, some fascinating books. Yeah. I'll piggyback on that just a little bit. One that I, I'm not reading now because I just finished it, but is uh, their newest release is not a river mm. by Selva Almada translated by Annie McDermott. I was pretty much blown away by this one. Um, it, it's out from Charco, but it also, you know, in the U S is coming out from gray wolf press later on in the year. Um, I need to read more of Selva Almada's books and Charco has a nice little collection of, I think maybe four now. Mm. Uh, I'm like, okay, got to get all of those too, but just right. wanted to plug that a little bit really quickly because yeah, I I'm posted you... a thing on Instagram, but um, yeah, definitely want to proselytize a little bit for, for Charpo and for, for that one too, as well as two Sherpas, which I need to read. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I'm, I'm the same way. I, I saw that book that, um, uh, it's not a river. Is that the title? Not a river. Yeah. Yeah. I keep seeing that one pop up, including your post. And that's another one I need to get very soon. So yeah, they continue to just put out great stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, I've got my regular suspects. I'm reading War and Peace still. Mm -hmm. I'm almost down to where I think I may have 600 pages left is all. Oh, wow. You just know, a sliver. Just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm almost done. <laughs> Race <laughs> to the finish line today. Exactly. <laughs> um, I am reading for NYRB Women 24, uh, Teffy's um, Book of Short Stories, Other Worlds, Peasants, Pilgrims, Spirits, and Saints. I had not read this one yet. I'd read other, like, they have other essays, you know, like some of her observations, you know, where she's meeting with like Tolstoy and Rasputin. And, and that was um, fascinating, but boy, I am loving this collection of stories. 
I am just really loving. It. I'm not very far into it, and there are a lot of a lot of translators, so I won't list them all. I mean, it's it's a bunch, but um, kind of heading the project is Robert Chandler, uh, who does a lot of the Russian um, work with um, NYRB Classics, along with um, Elizabeth Chandler. But there are a lot of translators that worked on this collection with them. In fact, a lot of the stories list like five translators when you're done. Oh, wow. (laughs) I I would love to know the story behind all of that, but this is so good. So I wanted to bring that up. I am reading the first um, book in the uh, Zola still. I'm almost done with it. Um, And... And you yeah. hate it, and my seventeen book purchase was yeah. Like the I wouldn't thing recommend it. You know, I'm glad I only bought. I'm glad I only have six because I, uh, you know, it's a waste. <laughs> it's, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> no, I'm excited to carry on. In fact, as I'm getting closer to the end, I thought I'm going to keep building my collection as I do it slowly. So I I ordered book seven. Oh, cool. Um, in the recommended order, mm-hmm. uh, the the other day, along with the third book in in Trollope's Palliser series, because I just finished "Can You Forgive Her," which oh, will come cool. up a little bit later on in the episode. Um, but yeah, I'm reading a lot of different books, but I did one that surprised me was I stumbled onto another Instagram reading group. I'm just loving these, uh, going through a lot of George Eliot's books, and they are currently on Adam Bede, which I read. 20 years ago. In fact, I, I can open my copy and it says, you know, I finished it in October of like 2003, I think is what it was. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Cool. And so it's kind of fun to see that. Uh, but I haven't read it since. And while I remember really liking it and I remember, you know, impressions or vague little bits of it, I can't remember the book very well. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, why not, you know, why not jump in there? And so I, I started at Embiid and, and am working on that, but I just, you know, I, I wasn't sure I was going to do it until I read the first paragraph, mm. which isn't a ton, you know, it's, but it just, I'm like, I just love her writing so much. I want to get into it, but this is chapter one, the workshop with a single drop of ink for a mirror. The Egyptian sorcerer undertakes to reveal to any chance comer far reaching visions of the past. This is what I undertake to do for you reader with this drop of ink at the end of my pen. I will show you the roomy workshop of Mr. Jonathan Burge, carpenter and builder in the village of Hayslope, as it appeared on the 18th of June in the year of our Lord, 1799. <laughs> like, oh, wow. it's nothing like, I don't know. It, it's not, I don't know why that pulled me right in though, but maybe part of it's that I remember Hayslope and really wanting to go back, um, you know, just this urge. But I also just like that George Eliot, even this early in her career is like, I'm going to be like the Egyptian sorcerer. <laughs> you know, just, That's a pretty cool. Of, you know, a little bit of, uh, of confidence there that I really like. So, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that you're reading so many classics lately. That's really fun. It's, it has been, I always like to do it. And like I said, last year I didn't get to, but you're inspiring me. I definitely want to make that a, a big goal. Yeah. It's been so nice to have a few of them kind of going on with the new books coming in. One of our friends, you know, longtime friends, I saw he asked you on Twitter, you know, about reading both a mix of classics as well as keeping up on all the new books coming in. Mm-hmm. I don't keep up on either one of them. You know, keeping no. up is, isn't, isn't the word I would use, but trying to read um, from both piles is something I've been trying to do much better over the last couple of years. And I think it's been enriching. I've loved it. Yeah. I love that too. In fact, speaking of George Eliot, you asked me if I picked up any other books, there was a used copy of 
Middlemarch that was really nice. And I, I already own Middlemarch, but it's in like one of those big Easton press. Like it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I read it that way the first time. But you know how it is. You need a reading copy as well yeah. as the other copy. So <laughs> you display the one that goes on the altar. <laughs> right, exactly. So I did pick up one of those because that's another one, as I've mentioned several times recently, very soon I would like to reread Middlemarch. But I do need to read some of her other stuff. I know I've read a couple and I don't remember. I'd have to look at a list to see because I don't think I've read Adam Bede. But mm-hmm. anyway, yeah, she's amazing. I definitely want to continue to spend time with her. Yeah, it was just, it's nice because they have the whole, a bunch of them planned. It's very slow. You know, it's a slow pace to go through mm-hmm. them all, which I'm I'm all for. Yeah. So. Awesome. Uh, all right. All right, Paul. Well, <clears throat> let's, let's stretch for a moment because mm-hmm. it's time to move on to our actual topic of the day. Thanks, listeners, for putting up with our banter. I enjoy it. I think the, the feedback we get is that people like it, probably because people who don't just delete their the show and <laughs> right. never ever talk right. to hit us. the 30 second fast forward fast forward fast forward <laughs> um, today's topic we actually stole from a good friend uh rods pondit folks have heard from her over the last couple of years in our year-end episode uh with her with her pick of the year in 2023 and then back in 2022 as well and she put up a post on Instagram uh, linking to her, her blog, which I will put in the show notes um, about some of her favorite books, characters on holiday. And I, I, I wrote to her and said, Hey, would you be okay if in pretty short order, Paul and I swiped this one from you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she said, yes. So I guess stole is maybe the wrong word since it was, you know, something she, she said was fine. Yeah. It was but above it, board, but yeah. Bet, definitely inspired by that. I don't think this is what we would do if it weren't for that, but I thought this sounded fun and I probably went into it a little bit naive. Um, Paul, when I wrote to him said, okay, that sounds great. How are we going to distinguish it from a couple of our past episodes on idols and on hotel novels. And I thought, oh, that's true. Probably a lot of the books I would choose for this list might would have been applicable for both of those, mm-hmm. um, if not one or the other. But let's do it anyway. You know, let's, let's, let's see anyway. what, what is different. When I think of a, of a hotel novel, you know, we, we had that great episode and we pro- probably some of this stuff came up. But I remember us kind of focusing on the fact that you're in this almost uh, microcosm of a world, mm-hmm. a bunch of different people coming together. Um, that wouldn't otherwise be in the same place. Um, And our idols, those to me is more of a a sentiment about time. Like you can have an idol in your regular everyday uh, life, you know, a certain season of the year. Holidays, you know, going on vacation, I think we can distinguish it a little bit, even though there would definitely be some overlap. So do do you have any thoughts on that initially? I mean, I agree with you. I think there's definitely overlap, but like you said, for like for example, for a hotel novel, there are people that are at a hotel for you know all kinds of reasons, including vacation. But it could also be, you yeah, know, you, business travel. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's one thing is in a hotel. That's kind of what makes those novels so fascinating. Is different people are coming from different places, but they also have different worries, agendas. You know, some people like you know at a hotel, you're in your business suit going off to a conference and you walk by somebody in their flip-flops that's headed to the pool. You know, there's like that Mm -hmm. angle of things. Whereas when you're on a vacation, you know, of course there are still people who are in the service industry and different things like that. It's not like everybody's on vacation, but a lot of times there's kind of this collective 
exhale is the people around you are all in a similar spot. So I think that that's one thing that makes it interesting. Um, and I also, one of the things I was thinking about is a couple of the books that I'm going to touch on. There's different types of vacations too, which I think is kind of interesting. I mean, I'll go into more detail of what I mean <laughs> later, but I do think there's also a lot more wiggle room there. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. And then with an idol, like you said, often it will be something like a summer vacation that could create an idol, but it could also just be, uh, you know, a school day. It could be a summer vacation for, for a kid. It could be like a, a place that you visit, you know, I don't know. So yeah, a relationship, you know, relationship. That, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, no, I think it's kind of fun to, like we always say, it's fun to poke around the edges of these things. Yeah. And I kind of, I was, as I was thinking about it, I, I mean, of course, when we, when we go on holiday, there's kind of a deliberate removal of ourselves from our regular day-to-day life and the the rhythms of that life. And even sometimes, you know, of course, like work, but even other times the people that we run into all the time, you know, mm-hmm. we, we are, and I'm not saying we're trying to deliberately remove ourselves from them, but it just, it happens, you know, we're, we're, we're right. moving away in a way for a short time and helps us get out of our day-to-day selves my day-to-day worries can be put on the back burner, hopefully <laughs> a mm-hmm. little bit. Right. And I sometimes feel quite different, you know, on, on a, on a holiday than, than, you know, in the evening when I get home from work or even on a weekend, you know, when I don't have to worry so much about work. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe, maybe going on holiday, it's, it's almost a liminal space. You know, we're removing ourselves to a completely different reality for us, mm-hmm. different, different, schedules different people different um all kinds of things and you can also be affected by the people that you're with when you're on this this holiday whether they're people who are strangers that you suddenly find yourself in contact with or even the people that you're close to that you go on holiday with it can it can be fun to see how those relationships can change when those other Mm -hmm. worries are gone or when new things come up. And I think a lot of the books that I have uh, to highlight talk about that a little bit. You know, they yeah. have, they have those, those elements to it. Um, yeah. And so I'm excited. I think it might make sense to start going through our books because they might help us flesh out a little bit. The, the idea of going on a holiday and as it's explored, I, I do think most of the books I've picked out being on holiday is a big part of the, plot it's a big part of the the ability the author had to explore what the author was exploring it didn't just you know happen that they were on a holiday yeah. it's what got us to the point where where we are in the in the book so uh if you're ready we can move on or if you have other kind of preliminary thoughts but why don't no, i think get we into should our list too i think we should jump in and i think a lot of those thoughts like you said will kind of flush themselves out as we talk about the books yeah all right well what's did we? Did you bring five? We didn't really. I, yeah, I did. Hopefully, right. you did too. I did. Let's twenty-five. Well, I do have my list of ones that I, I would have brought up other than I have brought them up before. I'll get to those at the end in case right. they're ones you brought up. Um, okay. But yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, my first one um, is one that I've actually wanted to read for a long time, and planning for this episode, I realized I had time to read it, and it was one of those nice things where this created a good little push for me to finally pick it up. And it's Travels with Charlie in Search of America by John Steinbeck. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's been on my TBR for years and years. And I thought it was a good fit for a couple of reasons. For one thing, it exemplifies one of the the great forms of vacation, the road trip, 
And that's what I was thinking when I was thinking, you know, there are the traditional, you know, get on a boat, get on a plane and go somewhere, but a family road trip or even a solo road trip like this one, I think is some, another type of vacation that brings up some different things maybe than some of the other ones. Um, and another thing that I really thought was fascinating about this is it also covers some of the ground that I know we're both big fans of. And that's one of those times of transition in a culture or a country where you can feel changes in the air. And that's kind of one of the things that was really fascinating about this book is Steinbeck at this point was, you know, getting to be an older man. I don't know exactly what his age was, but he kind of went out just to kind of get an oversight of, of what the state of America was as much as he could. And I think that that's really interesting because you could see a lot of things were changing and he talks about that a lot in the book, you know? Um, so there's a lot of things I liked about this book. One of them was he does such a wonderful job of capturing wanderlust, which I think is one of the cool things about vacation books. You know, you can kind of live vicariously through somebody and kind of get your itchy feet, you know, scratched, so to speak, by kind of following along with them. And so there's this passage he writes here that says, four hoarse blasts of a ship's whistle still raised the hair on my neck and set my feet to tapping. The sound of a jet, an engine warming up, even the clopping of shod hooves on pavement brings on the ancient shudder, the dry mouth and vacant eye, the hot palms and the turn of stomach high up under the ribcage. In other words, I don't improve. In further words, once a bum, always a bum. I fear this disease is incurable. I set this matter down, not to instruct others, but to inform myself. And so he does this kind of self-deprecating thing of like, you know, he likes to just go and go and go. And so it's incurable. It's just part of who he is every time. It kind of reminded me of on It's a Wonderful Life where Jimmy Stewart's talking about, what, you know, what are the three best sounds in the world? It's like boat chains and I can't remember the other, like train whistles or whatever, but it's that idea of just distant places and possibility that travel can bring up. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I loved that. And then also, like I said, this book in particular, it does have some melancholy to it as he's traveling and driving around with his, his French poodle, Charlie, it's just the two of them. And so he gets a lot of time for introspection and he can just kind of take a left turn here, right turn there and just kind of do whatever he wants to. But he talks about how things are changing in America and all over the world. And he says, the big towns are getting bigger and the villages smaller. Our treasured and nostalgic picture of the village store, the Cracker Barrel store, where an informed yeomanry gathered to express opinion and formulate the national opinion is very rapidly disappearing. And so little snippets like that, that he just drops in. I like how he's talking about, you know, like the interstates are changing the way that people travel and you don't get to necessarily see all these little small shops and things like that anymore. <clears throat> um, and then, you know, there are times where he does come across as kind of grumpy or, or a little bit of a Luddite, but I was actually kind of pleasantly surprised by, you know, don't get me wrong. There are some parts that probably could be problematic viewed through today's lens, but overall I was kind of impressed with like he kept saying, like, I am not opposed to change. Like, and, and for the time, I feel like there were some fairly progressive things that he was saying in there, which was kind of a nice um, surprise for me. But more than anything, I loved this book for just not only the travel writing aspect and kind of the, like I said, living vicariously on a road trip, which is always fun, but just he really encapsulates both the freedom and kind of the loneliness that you get with traveling. So I'll just read one last section here. Um, it says, in Spanish, there is a word for which I can't find a counter word in English. It is the verb vascular, present participle vacillando. It does not mean vacillating at all. If one is vacillando, he is going somewhere, but doesn't greatly care whether or not he gets there, although he has direction. 
And I just loved that. Like, I thought that was a nice encapsulation of one of the things that I like about vacation books or just vacations and travel in general is, you know, you're going somewhere, but you don't greatly care whether or not you get there. I really liked that idea. So yeah, I, I was really happy to finally have a, a good motivation to read this book. And as always, Steinbeck, I always forget, he he's easy to write off in some ways, but he's a really good writer. So it was nice to spend some time with him again. Nice. Yeah, I read that one 20 years ago or so, and I remember really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he is getting a little older. He was, it was published when he was 60. So I okay. imagine he was in his late 50s when he was doing that road trip. But it, it is kind of that way of like, hey, part of this vacation is getting you out of your own culture too. Mm-hmm. And seeing even the cultures that are maybe next door, but farther away and all the changes and the settings and all of that. I, I, I really enjoyed that one too. I don't yeah. remember it super well, but I like Charlie, you know, I miss Charlie. I know so. Charlie's great. <laughs> and I love the the relationship between them. It's, it's really fun to just see like kind of crusty old John Steinbeck. And you can tell he's like a dog dad where he's like worried about his dog. Like he can't go to the bathroom. I wonder what's wrong with him. And like, you know, it's, it, I really did enjoy that too. He brought Charlie's personality and their relationship into it in a really nice way too. Just buddies on a road trip. Yep. All right. Well, my first one is one that I I know I've brought up before, but it's kind of going to represent a lot of books that are similar. It's, it's a books where, you know, some, you know, coming of age, young woman goes to Europe and is blown away. You know, you know, it's a a look outside of her own world, but um, also, you know, a look at adulthood and various things like that. Uh, things that you see like in Daisy Miller by Henry James, but I, I chose to look at A Room with a View by E.M. Forster. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have even, I'm, well, I'm pretty sure we brought this one up in the Hotel Novels um, episode, mm-hmm. but I thought looking at this even just from the holiday perspective, you know, not just where, where we talked about the hotels, you know, there's a whole bunch of characters who come together who try to get to know each other they go on outings together you know they're they're strangers but they're all from england and they are going to to come together from their various walks of life and i really like that part of it but there's also just this sense that i was talking about earlier of people leaving their old world behind in an effort to gain new perspective in an effort to uh, mature and to gain some life experience um, not too much, you know, there is the chaperone, her cousin, her older cousin, who's going to really <laughs> right. watch as best she can. Um, but just this, this whole new world and all of the excitement, but also the fears of, of being separated from your old world where people are hoping that you're going to get experience, but you know, maybe you even find yourself at some time wanting to go back to that old comfort, you know, th- mm-hmm. go back home. Uh, go back to the to the covers, to the home, to those that I know love me, um, and get away from this anxiety. There's a part in this book where, uh, toward the end, that that our, our our heroine is talking about. I think it's something along the lines of she she was only able to feel in um, at peace amongst those she felt indifferent to. Um, mm. So you know, in the crowd, she was able to feel peace, but everyone else was causing her quite a bit of, of stress <laughs> at the time, right. uh, even though they weren't close family or anything like that. Um, but this is a trip to Florence that a young woman takes, and I just love the whole. There's a part at the beginning where it says it was pleasant to wake up in Florence, 
you know, just a great mm. holiday line mm-hmm. to open the eyes upon the bright bare room with a floor of red tiles, which look clean, but though they are not with a painted ceiling, whereupon gr- pink griffins and blue amarini sport in a forest of yellow violins and bassoons. It was pleasant too to fling wide the windows pinching the fingers in unfamiliar fastenings, to lean out into sunshine with beautiful hills and trees and marble churches opposite and close below Arno, gurgling against the embankment of the road. And the other part of a holiday that this brought up is that, you know, the dream of what you're going to find. And then when you get there and you're packing in your bags and you open up your window and it's not this. Yes. It's not Florence just laying out there below you with the Arno flowing beautifully by. You have the next the building next door in a in a grimy alley mm-hmm. and you're so uncomfortable because it's all unfamiliar. Where's where can I get some some ice? You know, where where's the light I, switch? Yeah. Where's exactly. the light, you know, how can I make sure that I can get comfortable again? I this I'm completely out of my rhythm. And I like that the start of this novel has that discomfort of everyone coming together clunkily, trying to find their rooms and get situated so that hopefully they can enjoy their their holiday. Um, but just a delightful book and, you know, one of my favorites um, from a long time ago. Yeah, that's a great one. And I'm glad you brought up that kind of the clunkiness and the discomfort because that comes up in one or two of my other books that I'll mention. But since you gave me a nice segue... I will jump. I actually did reread Daisy Miller this week because it had been so long. Oh, nice. Exact same thing that you just said. Like, it's such a, you know, it's the memories I had from reading it a long time ago were very much like place memories. Of course, I, the characters are a huge part of this novel, but I love that idea of just, you know, the grand tour, you know, like, you know, everybody probably knows listening to this, but like there was so much money flooding into the U S you know, after the civil war. And there was a lot of those nouveau riche who were off, you know, taking their, their daughters or just themselves and going off and just touring, you know, Europe for months or even years sometimes. And even though that can be off putting, I think to some people, I like just reading about that kind of stuff. Cause it's just so like foreign and, and crazy that anybody could ever do that. And I was reading a little bit about it and I didn't realize, but, I guess when Henry James was 12, his family went on a three-year tour of, of Europe that included London, Paris, and Geneva. And that was kind of one of his inspirations for writing this book, which I was just like, wow, three years just wandering around Europe. That sounds pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I, I just love this, how you start off in Switzerland. And as people who've read it know, you're kind of with Winterborn, this, this young guy who's been living over there. So he's kind of, you know, cultured in the European way, but he is an American, or at least he was born there. And he runs into, you know, rich, pretty um, American Daisy Miller, who's just fascinating and energetic, but also a little bit, you know, from a European point of view, kind of crass and overdoes it a little bit. And I really like that part of it too, where we just kind of get to see the, the, you know, old money that existed in Europe and their views of all these Americans flooding over and kind of like, (laughs) dirtying up the place or, or just being loud, obnoxious versus kind of in some ways, Daisy Miller is very charming, even though she is obviously, you know, there, there's some things about her that are a little off-putting as well. So I just really like the tension of that. Um, and there's some great lines in there. Um, Winterborn, his, his aunt, who's a little bit representing kind of the snobby European view, Mrs. Winterborn. At one point she says something funny, like they're hopelessly vulgar. Whether or no being hopelessly vulgar is being bad is a question for the metaphysicians. 
they are bad enough to dislike at any rate. And for this short life, that is enough. And I really like that. And um, it reminded me, like, I forget sometimes how funny uh, Henry James can be. Because you sometimes just think of like the the semicolons and the pages and pages of late James where it's, you know, you kind of get lost and, and there's a magic to that. But in this book, he's really funny. Um, there's a part where um, where Daisy Miller says, my, my father ain't in Europe. My father's in a better place than Europe. And it says, Winterborne imagined for a moment that this was the manner in which the child had been taught to intimate that Mr. Miller had been removed to the sphere of celestial reward. But Randolph immediately added, my father sends Connecticut. And I, th- I thought that was pretty funny. Like he's on to a better place. You know, he's in New York. Um, so stuff like that, I was just kind of, I had forgotten that Henry James has that side of him as well. Um, but yeah, one of the things that always sticks with me from James novels, like I said, is just his settings, you know, as you're moving from Switzerland to Italy and all these places. So I'll just read this little snippet of, of one of those great set pieces that comes later in the novel and um, just gives a good example of that. It's the evening was charming and he promised himself the satisfaction of walking home beneath the arch of Constantine and past the vaguely lighted monuments of the forum. There was a waning moon in the sky, and her radiance was not brilliant, but she was veiled in a thin cloud curtain which seemed to diffuse and equalize it. When, on his return from the villa, it was eleven o'clock, Winterborne approached the dusky circle of the Colosseum. It recurred to him, as a lover of the picturesque, that the interior, in the pale moonshine, would be well worth a glance. He turned aside and walked to one of the empty arches, near which, as he observed, an open carriage was stationed. Then he passed in among the cavernous shadows of the great structure and emerged upon the great and silent arena. The place had never seemed to him more impressive. One half of the gigantic circus was in deep shade. The other was sleeping in the luminous dusk. And like stuff like that, where it's just, he's so good. That's kind of one of the parts that I remembered most from whenever I read it 10 or 15 years ago is just the way he captures and makes you feel like you're there, which is pretty magical. So I like that about, some of these vacation books too, where, and I've never been, you know, to Italy, but I feel like at least in some ways I have some idea of, of what it's like to be there and like living through these characters lives, which is pretty fun. So yeah, I thought since you mentioned Daisy Miller, I would kind of segue into that one. Nice. I'll rearrange my order a little bit too. Okay. To throw on a, another European vacation, you know, going abroad for mm-hmm. some experience with the young, young women. Um, it's the one I finished this past week. It's Anthony Trollope's Can You Forgive Her? Oh, nice. um, his first book in the Palliser series. And I thought it was fantastic. It it starts out with a, a woman. Her name is Alice Vavasor. And she was once engaged to her cousin, George Vavasor. George is kind of, you know, no one really liked him. Her, her, no one in their family wanted this to happen other than George's sister, um, Kate. She wanted this marriage to happen, but everyone else is like, look, George is kind of a, you know, he doesn't have a lot of prospects. He's, you know, not going to treat you well. You're wealthy. Don't, don't do this. And she, after kind of seeing it in him, does decide to break off that engagement and becomes married or not married, becomes engaged to another man, uh, John Gray, who's very respectable, not super um, ambitious to her mind. And she just, doesn't ever, you know, it's more one that makes sense more than one she feels passionate about. And so Kate decides, well, I'm going to try and put together this little trip to Switzerland. Why don't we go to Switzerland? And because, you know, we're young women traveling, we need uh, a male chaperone. George will come. 
a lot of people are like, no, that's, that's a bad idea. But Alice is like, look, there's nothing there. You know, he's my cousin. This is great. And even her fiance is like, well, I trust you, you know, well, they, mm-hmm. they shouldn't have, it, it doesn't, it, you know, it, Kate works really hard to make sure that Alice realizes she doesn't love uh, Mr. Gray and that she should instead call that engagement off. Well, Alice goes that far realizing, okay, I, I don't, I don't think I should marry my cousin George anymore, but I, I should marry, I shouldn't marry him either. Mm-hmm. So it's her second engagement. She breaks and the book kind of sp- spurs from there but there are quite a few of these trips there's um lady glenn cora palliser and plantagenet palliser we meet them in one of the earlier barchester uh, books uh very briefly they're kind of troubled um courtship and engagement and 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 then marriage because she herself is is uh passionately in love with another man burgo fitzgerald and thinks that she should go uh, throw everything away in a sense she's wealthy but you know she'll He's he has nothing. Burgle Fitzgerald has nothing, and she she's willing to to risk it all in order to be with him. But she doesn't. She instead marries um, Plantagenet Palliser, and they're in this book. And there are various trips to Switzerland. You know, in this book, there's there's the one that I already brought up. There's some later on meant to try to heal situations, try to fix various things, and it's it's you know there is something about leaving. <laughs> Mm-hmm. in order to try to to heal the the to get out of the to get out of the rhythm sometimes means to get out of the the rut or to get out of the the negative rhythm as well to try to really really help things and uh, i like that can you forgive her goes there and, and explores these trips for that but it also shows that you know some of the people who weren't necessarily anticipating a getting closer do including mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Palliser and Mr. Gray they find themselves together in Switzerland later on in the novel and i just like this passage it says from all this it may be seen that Mr. Palliser and Mr. Gray had become very intimate had chance brought them together in london they might have met a score of times before mr palliser would have thought of doing more than bowing to such an acquaintance mr gray might have spent weeks matching without having achieved anything like intimacy with its noble owner. But things of that kind progress more quickly abroad than they do at home. The deck of an ocean steamer is perhaps the most prolific hotbed of the growth of sudden friendships, but a hotel by the side of a Swiss lake does almost as well. <laughs> and I just like that thought of mm-hmm. the spontaneous, uh, you know, uh, a hotbed of the growth of sudden friendships. And yeah, I can think back on trips that I've made and the friends that I've made and, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, they're still, maybe they're not even people that I have seen in a long time, but I still consider them close friends. We have shared the, this space outside of time, you know, uh, for a bit of, a bit of it. And that brought us closer together than maybe anything else would have done. And I think that's, that's just a fun thing that can you forgive her? It, you know, it's part of it. it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. focus on that theme, but it's definitely, there were some pretty cool characters on holidays and the trouble that they can get into and the, the help that they can, they can manage too from a good holiday away. Nice. Yeah. I like that point about being away can be kind of an equalizer because you're meeting these people and nobody knows anything. So you kind of have just this fresh slate where you can get to know one another. And yeah, that is a really interesting point. Very cool. Well, I will keep us in that general region. We're talking Switzerland and Italy. Um, my next is actually a couple of books that are part of Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan Quartet. Um, 
So I know that we've brought these books up a few times, but when I was trying to think of different books about holidays and vacations, I kept coming back to a couple of sections in this quartet that take place in both My Brilliant Friend and The Story of a New Name and their, their beach, you know, beach locations. Um, in the first book, it's arranged that Elena, who is one of the main two characters, will travel to the island of Ischia. And it's kind of both a break from her schoolwork, but also some concerned adults are trying to basically protect her from kind of the rough neighborhood where they've grown up and give her a little break from that. And so it's arranged that she's going to stay there with the family of one of her teachers, who is the one who helped organize this trip. And what I like about this is up until this point of the series, um, most, if not all of the story has taken place in and around some of the poorer neighborhoods in Naples, um, you know, which are, you know, often portrayed as noisy and dirty and crowded and sometimes dangerous. And so this is kind of one of those nice buildings Roman moments where for Elena, this is kind of just mind blowing and world changing for her because she's grown up in this very small area, knowing the things that she knows and the people that she knows. But this is her first time getting outside of that. And she gets a little bit of independence because the rest of her family isn't there. And so there's some really beautiful writing. I'll just read a little bit here. It's talking about the first time that she goes to the beach. And it says, the next day, amid a thousand fears and a thousand curiosities, I set out with a towel and a book toward the Moranti. The trip seemed very long. I met no one coming up or going down. The beach was endless and deserted with a granular sand that rustled at every step. The sea gave off an intense odor and a sharp, monotonous sound. I stood looking for a long time at that great mass of water. Then I sat on the towel, uncertain what to do. Finally, I got up and stuck my feet in. How had it happened that I lived in a city like Naples and never thought, not once, of swimming in the sea? And yet it was so. I advanced cautiously, letting the water rise from my feet to my ankles to my thighs. Then I missed a step and sank. Terrified, I gasped for air, swallowed water, returned to the surface, to the air. I realized that it came naturally to move my feet and arms in a certain way to keep myself afloat. So I knew how to swim. And then it skips ahead a little bit. And it says, the last 10 days of July gave me a sense of well-being that I had never known before. I felt a sensation that later in my life was often repeated, the joy of the new. I liked everything, getting up early, making breakfast, tidying up, walking in Burano, taking the road to the Morante, uphill and down, lying in the sun and reading, going for a swim, returning to my book. I did not feel homesick for my father, my brothers and sister, my mother, the streets of the neighborhood, the public gardens. And so I, I just thought that that was like, did a really good job of capturing, you know, she's a teenager at the time and it's kind of her first chance to kind of see more of the world and try new things and her family's kind of this distant memory, you know, that, that you have. And so they they revisit that area in the next book and it has a very different vibe at that point because she's a little bit older and the circumstances have changed. The reasons that she's going there have changed. And so it's like a, a more mature and kind of in some ways a sadder return trip. So I, those two parts of those books, I think do a nice job of capturing um, lots of things about vacation, but one of them being, like I said, that Buildings Roman, kind of that freshness, but also the way if you revisit certain areas later in life and go back to the same area, it can mean different things to you. So yeah, the more I think about those books, I, I really liked them and I really am tempted to kind of go back and revisit them one of these days soon. I've mentioned that HBO series several times. They, I think they did a really nice job and I'm looking forward to when the next season of that comes out. But um, just in general, those are such wonderful books and 
I really do like those sections that take place on the beach. Well, I think the the one I was going to say for the end of my list actually might go better here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the sadder books on my list. Might be the saddest. It's not a book, actually. It's a short story. Mm. It's uh, John Cheever's Goodbye, My Brother. Um, I, I love this this short story by John Cheever. And the the reason why I'm bringing it up is I really like how you talk about how places change as you, as you go, you know, there throughout your life and also the weight of prior vacation. Like if you go to the same spot with family for a long time, Mm -hmm. those old memories have a way of potentially haunting, you know, if, if those, if old times were better than, than they are now, uh, if old old memories make it seem ideal versus now, those can actually be quite traumatic. Um, this particular story is a family uh, reunion, uh, essentially, that they go to a seaside um, property in Massachusetts, the Pomeroy family, and but they're, they're getting older. You know, these these they've been going here for a long time, but they're they are getting older, and so this this story very very nicely explores these family relationships and again the sometimes you can't get away from the the troubles of the day-to-day life in fact sometimes day-to-day life has a way of blurring out the pain and when you suddenly find yourself just face to face with someone you have some problems with <laughs> or mm-hmm. or disappointment or frustration and you can't get away from them because they're, you know, you're sharing the same space now. And, you know, this, you're supposed to be playing games of backgammon or checkers or something with them, but it just is, you know, like you used to do. One of your favorite things from the past is now kind of uh, a horrible thing. So I thought this one does a really good job of showing the the sadder side, you know, the melancholy, the 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 hard side of these vacations too the hope that they can be what they once were the hope that they can be healing. And sometimes they're just not, you know, mm-hmm. but I really, you know, probably one of his more famous and best short stories. And in, in my opinion, goodbye, my brother by John Cheever. So nice. I'll lighten it up a, a little bit later. Okay. It's just so you know, but you know, we don't have to, we don't have to go all dark right now. No, <laughs> we don't have to. My next two are, are, different, but I wouldn't say either one of them is light, but I will shift up my order yet again, because it segues perfectly with what you just said. And it's actually one that I've mentioned in one of our other two episodes. So I broke the rules a little bit, but this one is just so perfect that I couldn't bring it. I couldn't not bring it up. And it's the fortnight in September by RC Sheriff. And I know I talked about it before, but this is just one of the most perfect vacation books that I've ever read. And it's for a lot of the reasons we already touched on, including the one you were just talking about, about revisiting the same place year after year and the March of time. Um, so just to remind people, it's about the Stevens, which is a, who are a family that live in London and they're taking their annual two week holiday to a guest house that they always go to in the town of Bogner Regis. And it's where Mr. And Mrs. Stevens first stayed on their honeymoon. And like we were saying, there's so many different stages of a vacation. And this one does such a nice job of, of touching on all of those, including the stress that comes with like the first parts of a vacation, which you often forget about 
Um, so it's, I'll, I'll read a couple of little excerpts here. It says the early morning and yesterday evening, exciting though they had been, were shaded by those ominous little clouds that inevitably hang over the beginning of a holiday. The anxiety of leaving home, the burden of the luggage, the bogies of Clapham Junction, and the worries about seats. They were things of the past now, things to joke about, and ahead lay the holiday, basking under a clear, untroubled sky, stretching away to the far distant horizon of Sunday fortnight, so far away that you could scarcely measure its distance in terms of tightly packed minutes of sunlit days and starlit nights. And so, you know, there's so many great little snippets like that. And um, like I said, it, in the previous episode where I talked about this, one of the things that's so fascinating about this book is that you spend time in each of the characters' minds. And so you get these different perspectives. One person is having a blast. Another person is feeling something very different. Um, and you talked about the melancholy of returning to certain times and, and places. And this is one of those where the children are experiencing that because they've been coming here since they were little, but they're getting older now. And so I really like this section where it says, this is them coming back to that same house. And it says for Dick and Mary going once more into their old familiar little bedrooms had wondered with sink sinking hearts, why they had never noticed in other years, how dreadfully dingy and terribly poor they were. Was it a growing desire for better things or had these little rooms suddenly shrunk become darker and almost squalid. And I like that too, because it's like, there is the excitement and the joy of, of the vacation, but there are also those times where it's like, wait, is this place changing or am I changing? So I thought that was really good. And then there is a lot of humor and lightness in this book. So I don't want to make it sound like it's all melancholy, but it's so good at capturing like these significant moments. And like I said, the passage of time. So just one more quick passage. This is the dad and He's talking about that and he says, but he knew that time only moved evenly upon the hands of clocks. To men it can linger and almost stop dead, race on, leap chasms and linger again. He knew with a little sadness that it always made up its distance in the end. Today it had traveled gropingly like an engine in a fog, but now with each passing hour of the holiday, it would gather speed and the days would flash by like little wayside stations. In a fortnight, he would be sitting in this room on the last evening thinking, how the first night of the holiday seemed like yesterday, full of regrets at wasted time. And so it's it's not sad necessarily because there is lots of funny stuff, but it's just so good at capturing all of vacation and all of the things that it represents as, as a dad, as a kid, you know, as um, Mrs. Stevens, she doesn't necessarily feel the same passion for <laughs> these traveling um, vacations as her husband does. So I really like, like what you were just saying, it encapsulates like you're in a room with these people who you see every day, but in a different setting, some other things start to come up and everything. So like I said, I know that was a repeat, but I just could not no, no worries there. skip it. It's such a good book. So yeah. Every September, I think I need to read it. So I'll order it, but then mm. I don't order it until it's almost October. And I think, well, that that's too late. I did order it last September. Oh, good. But I haven't read it yet. Okay. <laughs> but I have it on my list for this September. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. It's it's an absolutely wonderful book. I am so thankful. I don't remember who specifically. I think it was multiple people online, but it's one of those that I don't think I ever would have stumbled across if somebody mm -hmm. hadn't mentioned it. And man, I'm glad I did. Excellent. All right. My next one is still a little bit on the dark side. It's uh, Deborah Levy's 2011 novel, Swimming Home. I don't know if you've read anything by her or spent much time with her, but she, no. she's quite surprising, quite, uh, you know, I, I really like her, her books. They're always very, I just don't know what I'm going to get other mm. than probably some 
some you know bad feelings <laughs> right <laughs> not in a bad way but right, um, right. so this particular book takes us to the southeast of france seems like a theme you know you and i are definitely on that 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 this is where we just think of vacations all the know, books that take place there you know that must be what they're doing <laughs> um southeast of france in 1994 and it has a couple joe and isabel jacobs they have a daughter who goes with them but they go on vacation with another couple uh their friends mitchell and laura and you know they they go to this little villa there's a swimming pool you know they're just going to spend some time there just really enjoying everything you know who knows what their plans are but you know not only does that just sound like a recipe for disaster to me personally i mean especially I know people do this kind of stuff. It's fine. But when Deborah Levy should, should not be your travel guide. <laughs> right. um, it just sounds like there's so many things that can go wrong. In this case, it's a little bit of a surprise though. They all get up one day and there is a, a woman out swimming in the pool that nothing on. Her name is Kitty Finch. And she comes out and she's like, Oh, I thought it was my week to be here. You know, this, what a, what a surprise, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but everyone's like, well, what do we do now? You know, this doesn't really work. And you start to get the stress of people who have prepared this vacation to figure out how to now deal with this new contingency. Some of them are like, well, just let her stay. You know, we've got room. Well, they let her stay. And yeah, I'll just, you know, here, here's, here's one of these that, um, that I, I think is very anxiety, um, uh, inducing. Mm, yeah. Sounds like, <laughs> you it. know, and it's not the same, but it was like, there were a lot of really good intense books that take place on vacations too. You know, I can think of even the talented Mr. Ripley mm-hmm. where maybe he's not on vacation, but he is certainly taking advantage of people who are on vacation, you know, committing, there's a lot of uh, good crime uh, novels or mystery novels on vacations because they, it works, you know, you, you get people out of their element, out of their safety zone and not only can you explore so many different aspects of humanity, but you can do it with that flair of a, an exotic location mm. or a place where people normally wouldn't be. You know, you can you, you can have a lot of fun with that. And this this one just it, it's not that entirely like this is very much its own book, but it I thought was a good substitute for all of those great um, thrilling books only this one's so much more just again, anxiety inducing and kind of that. No, 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 no. Don't please. You know, very awkward. Yeah. Kinds yeah. Of books. <laughs> nice. No, I don't know her, but I, I, she's one of those spots, blank spots in my reading life that I keep meaning to change. So I'll have to try her soon. Although I'll have to make sure I'm in the right headspace. It sounds like, well, let me just give you a, a quote. Okay. Yeah, you got to be in the right headspace because I don't endorse this, but, uh, you know, I like it still. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this actually comes up a lot. This is this is Kitty. Life is only worth living because we hope it will get better and we'll all get home safely. But you did not get home safely. You did not get home at all. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, go check it out, Paul. You yeah. know, it's great for your uh, winter reading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I will. And people are not going to believe that we didn't plan this ahead of time because these transitions are just seamless because you were just talking about thriller and crime type of books taking place on a vacation or adventures. And that's not usually the type of thing that I necessarily am drawn to. But once again, this 
this episode prompted me to pick up a book that I had wanted to read forever and it's been sitting on my shelf that completely fits that. And it's Do Not Become Alarmed by Maylee Malloy. Oh, yeah. Nice. she. We've talked about her. She's one of my very favorite short story writers. Um, I, I won't argue that her novels are up to the same level as her stories, at least for me. I definitely prefer her stories, mm-hmm. but her novels are, I'm never, you know, I'm always glad that I read them because she does so many interesting things. And this is one of those that's just very different than anything I'd read by her before. So it's basically the story of a family vacation that just goes horribly wrong. Um, And this is one, a lot of the books we talk about aren't necessarily compromised by spoilers, but this one definitely is. So I'm going to have to tread carefully um, and just try to give people a little bit of a taste. But Basically, it begins with two cousins named Liv and Nora, and they decide that they're going to take their husbands and their children on a cruise together. And so the the book kicks off with us kind of following the families as they get on board the the big cruise ship and start exploring and the kids are running around and, you know, pigging out at the buffet and all that stuff. And the parents are getting some time to finally kind of just enjoy, you know, not being parents for a while and have some rest and relaxation. So... I'll just read a little short snippet just to give an idea of of the the beginning of it. And it kind of captures that feeling like when you get on a vacation and it's like decadence and kind of, you know, your kids are kind of accounted for and they're doing their thing with their cousins or whatever. And it says the Russian wine steward brought them a bottle of rosé as soon as they finished the champagne. His name tag said Yuri. You were that astronaut in the movie, he said, pouring the first taste for Raymond. Sorry, I should have mentioned Raymond's an actor. And so he's kind of well-known and people keep coming up to him. Um, And I'll skip down, but it says caviar and toast arrived with sour cream and egg and chopped onions in little silver dishes. Liv took a bite, the salty beads bursting on her tongue. There was soup and fish and lemon tart. She got slightly pleasantly drunk as she and Benjamin never did at a restaurant in L.A. where they'd have to drive home. They collected the children at the kids' club and made their way back to their cabins, the surge of the ship making the carpeted corridor into an uphill walk, then a slightly downhill run. The kids raced down, laughing, then did an exaggerated mountaineering trudge when the corridor ran uphill again. There there were congratulatory kisses all around as they said goodnight at the cabin doors, and there was a towel twisted into the shape of a swan on the foot of the bed. And so it goes on like that. That's the beginning. It's like all the excitement and like everything's going great and everybody's having fun. But like I said, this is not a book that's all about that. It doesn't take long before things um, begin to take a a pretty drastic turn. Um, And so I, like I said, I want to tread lightly because I don't want to spoil anything, but as they're on the cruise ship, as often happens, you know, different people will get off at different locations and go explore a little town or different thing like that. And so they get into Central America and, decide that they're going to go off for kind of a day excursion. And that's when everything goes wrong. We'll just leave it at that. But um, this is one of those that's definitely a very suspenseful, thrilling book. It's pretty dark at times. Um, And like I said, it's not necessarily the type of book that I would normally pick up, but it's one of those nice reminders to try something outside of your usual, you know, comfort zone. And sometimes it takes a great author like Maylee Malloy doing something different to kind of lead me down that path. Like if this was just, if I read the description and it wasn't her, I don't know that I necessarily would have picked it up, but I'm really glad that she took this plunge and that I kind of got a chance to go with her. So yeah, if anybody's looking, I mean, I read it on a plane. It's like a, it's a good airplane book, but yet has a little bit more substance. It's not just light and fluffy. So it's, it's a really good thriller that you'll find yourself tearing through. And yeah, so I just thought what you were saying, 
vacation novels can be a good vehicle for some of these other things where you're, you don't speak the language or you don't know what's going on or you get in the car with, you know, an Uber driver that you've never met before. Just all these different things where it does outside of the usual pleasant stuff. There's a lot of sinister possibilities that can take place as well. Nice. There was what book that come came up a lot that I don't think it's going to be the same, but that I almost put on my list. It's We Were Liars by um, E. Lockhart. Mm. I saw pop up and I was like, oh, I like that book. But it's been too long since I read it for me to remember and be able to talk about it. But as you brought that up, I think, again, they're very different, but just that kind of more thriller side of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of people put that as a good vacation book. I remember it more like a summer holiday, like rich kids that have actually a summer home. So I didn't necessarily Mm. think of it that way. But Mm -hmm. anyway, but I do still have a book kind of written for younger audiences um, as my my last one. It just it filtered to the end. I was going to bring it up earlier, but I think it's a good one to end on. Nice, um, because it's a it's a much more. It's not. It still has hard things that go on in inside of the book. Um, you know, there's mental health issues, um, just the difficulties uh, for an LGBTQ plus uh, person. Um, and it, but it's also a pretty happy one, and it's a Heartstopper Volume Three, the graphic novel by Alice Osman. Um, this is Charlie and Nick. That by this time they, you know, they've kind of come together. They're they're no longer uh, circling around each other, wondering. Mm-hmm. You know, they are now officially boyfriends. Um, but this was the book where they get to go to France together. It's like a school trip. They go with their friends. You know, it's part of the plan. And it just made me think of school trips, you know, school, vaca- you know, vacations to places with friends as mm-hmm. a youth and how different those are and how weird they are. You know, that these people that you normally see at school, all of a sudden you're sharing living space with them. You know, they're, you, you say, well, good night, you know, and they go to their room or whatever. Right. Uh, you know, it's a diff- very different situation um, than it used to be, but I had quite a few of these with things I was involved in. You know, I remember not only going to like college tours and whatever, where you'd maybe stay in the dorms, but uh, one year I got to go to San Francisco with friends, you know, for, for stuff. And that's just, a, they're still, still a, a big part of my memory is this probably what four day trip. I don't even know how long it was. Couldn't have been too long. Mm-hmm. And then the next year we went to Phoenix and uh, just these fun things that get you out again of the, that everyday space, uh, but with friends. And when you're young, how meaningful that can be, yeah. um, how different it can be to have that independence. You're not there with parents or siblings. You're kind of on your own, but kind of not, you know, you got the chaperones, you know, always <laughs> in the background. Are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but that unique, unique thing it brings to life of, Hey, this is, this is a, this isn't the same space you're used to in, interacting with people in. You got to kind of figure this out. You know, this is, this is outside of all of these various comfort things and it can just be a blast. I'm sure you know, I enjoyed all of them, but I mm-hmm. probably was also anxious at times with them. You know, I, only memories of all the good, but right. uh, this this book brought a lot of that to mind as they as a you know a school trip go to go to Paris. You know oh, they're from well, England yeah. and they get to go to Paris and you know with the relationships you know the, the romantic element there too. Mm-hmm. Um, just just a lot of a lot of old memories came back as I read this one and I I really like these books. The fifth volume just came out 
and um, the library got it. I was there helping with that llama activity I told you about. Yeah, uh, yeah. And helping's probably the wrong word because I saw that it was out, but not that they hadn't cataloged it or taped, you know, done anything to it. So I slipped away and read it while I was there helping. Very cool. <laughs> helping. Yeah, exactly. Petting the llama but, and reading books. Right. <laughs> so anyway, I really, really enjoyed. Um, really enjoyed that series. I think there's one more when it ever it comes out that'll that'll end the series. But Very I like cool. those Heartstopper books, and I like the I like the holiday of this one. And yeah. like I say, a little bit of a lighter way to end than I like that. You know, the thrillers or families disintegrating or you know mm. all that stuff. But yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I read the first one of those so far. Based on your recommendation, I agree. They're just very sweet, but not just saccharine sweet. Like sweet in it. Yeah. I mean that as a compliment, but also they don't skip over any of the. You know, there's there's trouble, like you said, and and so it's not just a fluffy light read by any means. But I really do like them, so I'll have to keep reading more of those. That one does sound interesting. And like you said, those school trips are a good chance for kids to kind of push the boundaries and grow a little bit and, um, you know, just see, see the world slightly different without their parents right there. So that's a great one. Yeah. Have to see people in, in their own, you know, other situations. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it's fascinating too, because like we had gone to Universal Studio as a family and I had tried to get my son to go on this, you know, it's like the Incredible Hulk roller coaster, which is this really, it's, it's fun, but it's like scary and he wouldn't do it with me. And then it was like a year, year later. So some of it could have been maturity, but he went there with his friends. He wrote it like three times. <laughs> and so it's like that opportunity to like, to kind of get pushed into new yeah. situations, try things. If your parents aren't there, you feel different than you do when they're there. And so, yeah, it's a really good opportunity for, for growth and stuff. So yeah, that's a good one. So, all right. Well, let me list some of my honorable mentions is maybe the wrong word, but books that I was maybe, you know, definitely came first to mind, Mm -hmm. but that because I have talked about them probably a lot, um, the feast, Margaret Kennedy, uh, hotel du Lac by Anita Bruckner Mm -hmm. and the enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnhem, you know, are ones I could, happily sit down and talk about some more. For sure. Um, I also saw people bring up On Chesil Beach by Ian McEwan. Which yeah, I thought about I was that like, one. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's a honeymoon, and so it definitely applies. And mm-hmm. uh, But again, that was one that I, I read so long ago that I don't remember. I remember it, and I actually remember quite a few specifics, but I don't mm-hmm. remember the vacation-y kind of element of it. Um, and then one that I, I actually thought maybe you'd bring up again, but you did just bring it up, like just barely. But it's the first story in Jhumpa Lahiri's uh, new collection, Roman Stories, The Boundary, yeah. which isn't about like the per- the person, t- the, the main character of the story isn't on vacation. She's there with the people who are on vacation. You know, yeah. she's there to the service. Uh, she, she tends to the house and sees people come and go with their families. And it's an interesting other perspective of the vacation, you know, from the, someone who's not on vacation watching the vacationers. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Yeah. She had a couple of stories that I thought about bringing up because she has at least one other one in, um, well, there's actually one in interpreter of maladies where our family is visiting India and they're out of their element that does it nicely. And then there's one in unaccustomed earth as well, that actually, if I remember right, well, I, I probably shouldn't say, but it is probably more on the disaster thriller side of things where something bad happens, but yeah, she's a great one to bring up. 
Did you have any other honorable no, mentions? No, I was just going to ask if you had any that you Yeah, had. I do have a, a couple that I was thinking about. All right. Um, yeah. I know how it is with you, Paul. I'm ready. That's right. You're ready. <laughs> Let's get your finger, typing fingers going. No, Bill Bryson. I just thought his, it's another one that's kind of a different mm-hmm. perspective for a couple different reasons. A Walk in the Woods is, is a really funny take on him walking the Appalachian Trail, vastly underprepared. Um, but <laughs> it's the idea of like camping and, and hiking can also be a vacation with many of the the positives and the negatives that we've talked about. And then he has another one called Notes from a Small Island, which is really interesting, where he had lived for a couple decades in Britain and then decided to move back to the States for a while. And so he does this kind of almost like a farewell tour of of Britain, where he's kind of going around and seeing, and it has a really interesting perspective that I liked with that lens to it. Um, And then The Interestings by Meg Wolitzer, was another one that I thought about adding where it, it takes place at a sleepaway camp for girls. And so it's got a lot of the, the drama and the, you know, the, all the stuff that happens at camp, the romance, the drama, all of that stuff. But then it also revisits them later in their lives. So that's a really good one. Um, and I thought of, I did think of the talented Mr. Ripley by Patricia Highsmith. So I'm <laughs> glad you mentioned that one. Cause that's as far as just exotic locations. And like you said, it's, in some ways, not necessarily a travel or a vacation book. Um, two more. The books, Proust, you know, all of m- many of the sections of Proust take place in these big grand hotels where there's a lot of, you know, money people that are flitting in and out and it captures just that that grand hotel and the beach and all that stuff. Hmm. Um, oh, I don't know what you're talking him. about. I don't know who that is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of him. Um, the last one is A Sport and a Pastime by James Salter which is a very spicy take on vacation. Like many of James Salter's books, like he, you know, he, he will go there. It is, you know, all about this couple and their affair. And, and, you know, he is just an absolutely amazing writer. So if anybody wants to, to read a book that um, it's very different than anything we've talked about, but it's absolutely amazing writing as well. So those were some of the ones that I thought about. I could keep going, but I'll spare your fingers. No, I, well, I appreciate it, but you know, it's always fun to hear the other ones, the other contenders Mm -hmm. and think how they slip into the various aspects of this. Right. Yeah. You know, I think it's fair to tell listeners, you and I, we're not going together, but both of us do have holidays coming up in the next Mm -hmm. couple of weeks, taking us out of, uh, out of the, our, 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 our comfort zone. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I am too. I'll, I'll, I'll have the good thoughts from this episode, the good aspects of these novels in mind as I go, hopefully. <laughs> right. Don't read the Maley Malloy before you leave. Save that for another day. That's right. Uh, but we will be back here in a couple of weeks with another episode. And again, we have these planned. I mean, things could change, you know, maybe a guest can't come, uh, but we're excited to be joined by Sean, the book maniac. Yeah. Uh, from YouTube. Long overdue. Uh, we're happy to have exactly. him on. And I don't know what we'll call the episode, but it's it, in a way it's about, um, you know, unsung masterpieces or books that the hidden gems that we feel we have uncovered, but that still aren't uh, known to people. And I, I, I got to say, I'm a little bit uh, nervous. I don't know. I, I haven't had books that just plop into my mind. You know, I don't know, I know. Uh, what I'll, what I'll talk about, but I'm excited about the topic and I'm certainly excited to hear Sean's take on it and the books that he'll bring up. So no, I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause I feel the same way that with our <laughs> listeners and our friends online, it's like, 
how do you find something that is hidden because they read so widely and so well. And half the books that I think of as hidden masterpieces, I probably heard of Mm -hmm. from somebody who listens, but we will do our best. It's going to be fun to try. That's, that's part of the conversation, I guess, is how do you find these or can you find them or how do you have the courage to venture out and, Mm -hmm. and find them? So, but looking forward to that. Uh, but in the meantime, everybody have a great rest of this month of January and we'll see you soon. Bye everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can follow Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash mooks. Until next time. <laughs>